Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of The Sideline. My name is Richioza. My name is Asher Heyer. And uh, we got a great episode for you guys. We're off, in the finals. Fix audio. <laughs> okay, yeah, we fix audio. <laughs> forever. Uh, thanks, Zoom, for one, uh, limiting our time and also screwing up the audio. Um, but uh, we also got a good episode because we are going to talk about a very interesting first three games uh, of the NBA Finals so far. Denver took a 2-1 lead last night off of one of the best duo performances uh, in NBA history behind the first two 30-point triple-doubles in the NBA Finals, or first 30-point triple-double in the same game by any players uh, ever, not just in playoffs or finals, but in regular season as well, from Jokic and Murray. Um, first ever 30-20-10 game from Jokic uh, in the finals game by any player. This is a very, very good game from the Nuggets overall after a very disappointing Game 2 loss on Sunday night. Uh, what were your initial thoughts from the first three games as a whole, but then also specifically after what we saw last night? As a whole, to be honest, they're not playing well. I don't think, like, when you look at especially Game 2, obviously, they didn't play well. Game 1, they really didn't play that well. Um Game three, obviously, you have that amazing duo performance. I mean, the best game by a duo of all time when you consider the circumstances. Um, and if the Nuggets end up winning this championship, I mean, this duo is going to go down in history because, you know, you can go down every champion ever uh, that has ever won and probably name, like, the best duo on that team. Um, and this Jokic and Murray duo is just considering what they did last night and we'll see um with how this series progresses but um man they are up there with some of the best duos of all time uh just the way that they complement each other so well it's amazing and really like you know going to game three um like it's crazy that you just you expect this out of Jokic um a 30 20 10 game so like you know, that's the Nuggets team. That's like the core of their team. And then you need the other guys to step up. Um, and Jamal did that after having a pretty rough game too. And then kind of blaming himself um, for the loss for a little bit um, for, for the, in the press conference. Um, he came out and was just a dog. Like he hit some huge shots. I, the Nuggets only made five threes, but Murray hit that one three over Adebayo on the left wing that was huge. Like, it seemed like all the threes that the Nuggets made and Jamal made all came at huge times. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, you get that triple-double out of Murray, and then obviously this is the <laughs> – even if you have these two guys going crazy, it's still the Christian Brown game, I guess. Uh, we're going to remember more of like, okay, those two guys both got triple-doubles in the finals game, but Christian Brown – you know, Nuggets won by 15. He scored 15. Um, he was exceptional. Yeah. I mean, we, we we have been praising Christian Brown the whole season, really. We have been confused when he hasn't played. We've been very pleased when he has played. Uh, really, since Summer League, we've been seeing this sort of version of him. I feel like in the fir- those, like the first time we saw him in Summer League, he was trying to do so much offensively. And it just wasn't working. But then once preseason came around, once the regular season came around, he toned it down, he bought into the role. And this is what he's been the entire season. And, um, I mean, the, the, the dunk that he had 
off the steal. That was so so cool. I mean, he has he's been really good through the first three games defensively, anyway. Um, but I mean, after the game that he had in game two, which he had a really really solid game, for him to come out and you know have an even better one on the road uh, when the team is very aware of him is huge. And um, I also agree with you. I I don't think that the team played well through the first two games. I thought this last game was one of the more complete games that they've had, not just in the series, but in the playoffs as a whole, because defensively they were incredible. Yeah. But um, the first two games, they were very clearly so rusty. And, like, they kept saying, like, oh, no, we'll be fine. Like, we're ready. We've been staying active. Like, we're not, you know, we're not just, like, sitting around doing nothing over their nine, ten-day break. But they still were definitely rusty, and the intensity was not there at all. But you could tell the intensity, the communication, the energy, everything was up uh, in Game 3. In the biggest game of uh, in Nuggets franchise history, they they definitely responded. So Yeah, I, I think, was, like... I was very pleased with how they saw it. I think they they're more they they're more mentally rusty than they are physically rusty because so many of those threes that the Heat got in game 2 were just because of the Nuggets messing up on defense. Like they made 17 threes in game 2 and I believe like 9 of them were because of uh miscommunications on defense. Someone got wide open. Um and they cleaned that up. I think it happened one or two times in game 3, but definitely not on the level that it happened in game 2. Um so that was obviously huge to clean that up because that's the reason the heat won game two because how ridiculous they shot from three but the nuggets were allowing those open looks so um i was gonna say one more thing i'm forgetting but um i mean just porter i i mean we can talk about porter game one i thought porter played really well um even though he shot two for 11 from three and he's now three for 19 I think from three in the series something like that um but his defense in game one was spectacular um but he is back <laughs> in the doghouse he's been there before um <laughs> especially with, with with Malone in the regular season uh we know how he treats his young players but um yeah you know 21 minutes this game I think only like 23 or 24 in game two um, but that's, you know, that's the luxury of having such an impactful, impactful rookie like Christian Brown is that when one of your starters is struggling, um, and Bruce Brown too, when one of your star- starters is struggling, whether that's Porter or KCP or Gordon, um, they can be brought out and Brown, the two Browns will give you energy. So, um, you know, that's coming from them game, game by game, and they'll provide some solid defense. So really that's, it's a luxury to have. You look at the 21 minutes for Porter, and it's like, oh, he's terrible, which, I mean, he kind of was. But, like, it, it speaks to how good some of the pieces on the bench are that you're willing to take out your starter for half the game. Yeah, and I, like, this This last game, game three, was definitely not his best. He, he really struggled to get his shot going. I thought he had good looks. He didn't force anything. Like, most of his shots were open. They just weren't falling. He's just in a slump. Happens. Happens to everybody. KCP was in a huge slump for, like, most of the last month of the season. And it just took one game. It's that game against Utah. He broke out of it. And he's been great in the postseason. Unfortunately, having a tough stretch in the playoffs as well for him. But I thought I thought MPJ, first half was awful. He had a couple of the breakdowns that you talked about uh, leading to some open threes. He wasn't active defensively. He wasn't active on the boards. 
But in the second half, he only had one stint. It starts the second half, six, seven minutes. Uh, but it, he was great. I thought he was phenomenal. He only got, I think he only had one or two shots. He missed, obviously he missed all of them. But they were good shots. He got offensive rebounds. He forced the jump balls. He was good defensively. He got switched out. You could tell that, like, his energy was different defensively. He was getting way lower in his stance. He was fighting through screens a lot better. He was chasing ball, uh, chasing off ball a lot better. Uh, so, like, I think overall, obviously this hasn't been the series we wanted to see from him, but there have been so many different spurts where you're looking at it, It's like, okay, you can live with that. With how Jokic is playing, with how Murray is playing, you can live with MPJ not hitting every single shot if he's this active on the glass, if he's this active defensively. Because he had a couple of plays... Uh, there was this one offensive rebound that he had in the in the third quarter. I think KCP or somebody missed like a, a wide open three. He came out of nowhere and got it on on the on the strong side, coming from the weak side, mm. and that was like a huge possession. It ended in points. And yeah. So yeah. I, I feel like his energy's there, and he's he's getting the shots he wants. He just has to knock them down, and he's one of the best shooters in the world. He's the best shooter on the team. Like eventually they're gonna go down because. Like it, it's it's pretty clear that Miami's game planning against giving him open looks and making him work for them. The same with KCP. Like against LA, almost every single three that those guys took were like wide open, wide open in rhythm in the flow of the offense. Like these guys are they're yeah. not rotating off of KCP or Porter. They're forcing them to shoot off the move in transition, taking a lot tougher shots rather than stand still catch and shoot half court looks. Yeah, because I think that's it's probably a big point of emphasis because going into this series, you know, the obvious kind of like matchup you're looking for was Porter against this tiny Heat team that you can just shoot right over him. But, um, you know, obviously it's not that simple. And any time a player can test, it's much harder. So, like, the Heat have definitely been zoning in on um, exactly that because they know the weakness of their roster. Um, and so... You know, they know how to game plan for that um, and are specifically game planning for that. Um, the one thing I was going to say going back um, was I think, like, for game two also with all those miscommunications, um, obviously maybe it was some of the coaching with Spolster because Porter came out and said that, um, you know, anytime the Nuggets were calling switch um, or were calling to stay with their man, um, if they were, if they would call switch, the heat would just slip the screen, not even set a screen and then just run away from the action. And then the two defenders would get confused. Um, and then obviously if they called a, you know, just to stay with your own man, like, um, then it'd be different, but they, the heat knew what was coming. So, um, for the nuggets to fix that on the road where communication is always much harder, um, I think is impressive and, you know, Great showing by Malone and Adelman and the staff, uh, Saunders. So, um, you know, great job there. Christian Brown, the dunk was awesome. But I think the one play that I loved the most out of Christian Brown, which might be my favorite Christian Brown play this entire season, was him getting the ball, I think, on the right wing and just attacking Jimmy Butler, putting his shoulder into him, knocks Jimmy back, and then floats it up and in. Like... The confidence was through the roof for Christian uh, last night, and to, for him to take him at, for him to take on Jimmy Butler, who's one of the strongest players in the league, and knock him back and shoot right over him after locking him up on the defensive end a few possessions, like 
that that was amazing. He had the yeah, he had that one possession where he locked up Butler, got the rebound. That was awesome. Great defensive stop, and then another one where Butler was trying to uh, bully his way down, couldn't find a shot. Butler had a pass to Adebayo. I think he missed. Um, so yeah, I mean Brown, he he was only a plus two in the like plus minus, but man, he flipped that game, especially in the third quarter. Third quarter, he had like he had a stretch. Um, he got like one layup to put Denver up like eleven or six, like eight or eleven, like somewhere in that range. Then he had another layup off cut from Jokic, and he had the dunk, and then he had an and one, then he had the float. Like he had so many plays in a row that just sucked the entire energy out of the building. Because yeah. odd, like when when people say, "Oh, the key to guard Jokic is to make him a score." It's not just that, it's to force other people to make plays. Like, it's when you do double, make sure it's not open shots. Just make sure they can go off the dribble. And if you're going to guard Jokic one-on-one, don't help and give open looks. But what Christian Brown was doing so well, and especially against the zone, was cutting and getting into the rim to get open looks outside of jumpers. And I thought that was huge. Like, he was I, I, very I thought he was the best, third-best player on the court, yeah. not just even... Uh, for Denver, I thought he was the third best player on the court, um, and part of that was his ability to break the zone. And Denver really figured it out, um, which is why I'm very interested to see what Miami does because they didn't run a lot of zone in the second half because Denver uh, obliterated the zone in this game because they 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 switched how they ran it. So instead of uh, normally Jokic, normally in the zone in general, what you want to do is you want to get the ball to the middle of the floor. Obviously, Miami knows that. Obviously, Denver knows that. So, Jokic would be on a smaller guy, but they would wall him up and they'd shade everybody on him. Um, whichever corner was empty for Denver against the zone, Miami would bring their man up and they would just overload one side of the floor and they'd make the rotations and they're switching up top. Great. It's what makes Miami really hard to defend because they're so smart with their rotations. They're smart with their switching. They communicate very well. But what Denver did is instead of ro- starting their zone, in the middle of the floor, they started it on the post. And they would get Jokic on the post in that empty corner where they couldn't rotate fast enough um, onto him and everyone didn't have eyes on the ball. And they scored so many times off of that. And they scored a couple of times on cuts by Brown. And it was that like that was a genius adjustment by um, by Denver and by Malone. And that's not something that a lot of fans are going to notice um, because people don't notice the good things that coaches do <laughs> in terms of adjustments. But I thought that was huge against the zone, and, and Brown was a huge part of it because he was cutting to the rim and he was breaking down the zone with his with his dribbles. Yeah. Which is something that like I didn't expect to happen. Like I didn't expect Christian Brown off the dribble to be the reason why the zone was <laughs> was going to get broken. I'm sure Miami didn't expect that either. But that was that was one of the bigger things that I noticed. Yeah, he had one play where it seemed like he isolated at the top of the key. Um, he isolated, drove down, and handed it off to Jokic, who made a little like five-foot jump shot um and then he also had that one huge cut where murray was getting double teamed um up at the top and he cuts uh from the corner to, like along the baseline and murray finds him and he gets the and one finishing over lowry that felt like the dagger in the game almost um i thought so uh yeah i mean phenomenal job and and much needed after the team shoots Five for eighteen from three. I mean, you you say five for eighteen from three in game three, 
I don't think the Nuggets like would win if you just told me that's what they would shoot. Um, Heat were 11 for 35, so <sighs> two wins away, man. Um, they're close. It feels like they're definitely the better team. Um, and that game two was yeah, just a little like mental lapse. They might have also thought that like going into the Sun series that you know this is the best team that they face that KD and Booker you know and then going into LA series it's like oh this is another one of the best teams that they face because it's LA and it's LeBron and it's AD and then you take game one in pretty easy and convincing fashion against the eight seed Miami Heat who obviously are not as nowhere near, near as talented as you are um, and so to win game one easily, you know, maybe they, they took their foot off the gas pedal. It, it's hard to say that because they've been so focused the entire year. Um, yeah. But clearly they weren't focused in that game because of all the defensive miscues. Um, so, yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I, I like I, a lot of people like, didn't realize Denver going into game two, they won seven straight playoff games. Like, that is hard to do that's almost two straight sweeps like that is hard to do so they they, i honestly just think that they were just feeling overconfident in themselves like they had just you know they like you said relatively easy you know they took their foot off the gas in the fourth quarter of game one but a relatively easy win then you're coming off of a sweep you're coming off of two blowout wins against phoenix uh in the last two games of that series so they're probably just thinking we can just cruise through this if we want to but Obviously, Miami's not thinking that. Miami thinks that they can win the series, as they should. Um, so they come out with a ton more energy. Denver isn't able to make it up mid-game. Uh, so I, I like. I think they just got overconfident, and they just were, started to go into cruise control a little bit uh, and just underestimated Miami. But I think in this game, they really showed it. And it, it was said on first take, uh, Jay Williams said it, and Gabe Vincent also said it. He said a quote, he was like, our margin of error is way smaller than theirs. Like, we have to be so much crisper on everything. Yeah. Um, which is very good self-awareness by Miami. They know they're not as talented. They know that they have to be perfect. Yeah. Um, Denver does not have to be perfect. They just have to be... They just have to match the effort level that Miami has. And their talent level is going to beat it. And Jay Williams said it on first take, too. He was like, like Miami doesn't have the talent level. If, if Denver is able to match the effort and the intensity and the desperation, they're going to win every single time because they're just they're too talented, they're too big. Uh, and I think that's exactly what we saw in in Game 3. Denver, I don't think Denver played like a phenomenal game, but they played good. Like, they played good. They made, the shot, they made shots in the paint. They used their strengths, and they played with effort. They played with the same effort that Miami had. Yeah. And their talent took over with Jokic, with Murray, and with just their bench outperforming Miami's bench. Yeah, and that's what you need. That's, that's all it's going to take. That's what you need against Miami because you have to accept that they're going to slow the game down. Like The Nuggets only scored 104 points in the first game, but I think their offensive rating was like 119 or, or close to it. So like their offensive rating has been good. So the Heat are just completely banking on, first of all, scoring every possession pretty much as they showed in game two. Um, And, you know, limiting the number of opportunities the Nuggets get. So 
that's their whole game plan, <laughs> pretty much. And if that happens, you're going to get what happens in game two. But that is such a small, as you said, margin of error um, for the Heat. Because if their offense is just goes cold one quarter, it's pretty much over. Like, I know the Heat, I think, are they were 12-0 and or something going into uh, – this fourth into fourth quarters, they were like twelve and zero in fourth quarters in the playoffs, um, and they finally just lost one in Game Three by one point against the Nuggets. But um, so that's when they usually that's when they turn it on, and that's what happened in Game Two, obviously with with, with Duncan. Um, so I mean, the Heat need like near perfection to win uh, a game, and you know, obviously they were absolutely perfect in game two um and the nuggets haven't been perfect in any of these three games um and they're up 2-1 so you know i think i think denver finally like realizes you know okay that was honestly losing game two maybe was i don't want to say it's good because it's only a seven game series um but it's not like a whole season it's not like a moral loss or whatever but um it woke him up though it woke him up yeah it was a wake-up call and like i i saw i I don't remember what the stat was exactly but miami in game two had had, i think they only had 11 shots at the rim which is an incredibly low number for a team over four quarters so essentially they just made every single jump shot that they took and that's why they won and that's what it's going to take it's going to they're going to need insane shooting uh, from the role players which is exactly what they got um, and I think that like like you said they're not as talented I think Denver realizes now like we just have to play with intensity yeah. and effort and we're going to be able to win this series um, I think our predictions of Nuggets in 5 6 at the most I think that's still very much on um, I think if Denver wins tomorrow night I think they're gonna ha- they're gonna they're gonna be able to sense it enough at home to be able to win. But if they if they if they lose in a, in a way that was similar to Game Two, I think this series could get ugly in a way that Denver is not gonna want. Because if they have multiple games where effort and communication are the issues this late in the season, that's a problem. And if Miami's gonna be able to adjust that much against them, like that's that's an issue. Um, because I, I I don't know. It's kind of similar to to the Lakers. The Lakers showed their hand with their adjustments early in the first couple of games, and Denver was able to adjust against that very very easily. And they didn't really need to struggle in the fourth quarters of those of those series or of those games. I think Miami's in a similar position. Their adjustment is zone, and their adjustment is like playing the zone against Jokic and taking away the two man game of Jokic and Murray. But I think Denver figured it out in terms of how to stop it. You, play from the post you drive and you get into the lane with your role players and find stuff in the paint that way instead of relying on the three-point shot which hasn't been falling for denver i don't know what miami can do to counter that I, the only thing is completely if you're going to play zone shade it against Jokic and murray completely and force somebody else to make play off the dribble like as well as christian brown played off the dribble uh in game three he like you're not going to expect him to do that every single game you're going to bet on like, if you're Miami, you'll say, okay, if Christian Brown beats us, we'll live with that. But we're not going to yeah. let Jokic and Murray beat us like they did in game three. You're going to force Michael Ford Jr. to score off the dribble and make him 
make jump shots because he hasn't been doing that. You're going to force Aaron Gordon to do stuff off the dribble, force Bruce Brown to do stuff off the dribble. Um, that's the only adjustment I can think that Miami can make is just completely sell out to avoid the two-man game and completely sell out to avoid Jokic and Murray doing anything, which is a damn near impossible task. Yeah. <laughs> like I, people haven't been – no team has been able to do it throughout the entire season, regular season included. And even going back further than that, like – over the past five years that these guys have been playing at, at a high level. I don't know how, I don't know, I don't know what they're going to be able to do. No, I don't either. And I think Murray, like, is honestly playing, more, like, his best ball maybe of his career when you look at the assists-wise. Like, I don't think he's ever had a stretch where he's had three games in a row with tennises. Um And that just adds a whole, like, different element because it's not just, oh, Murray – you know, stop the pull-up game with Murray and then, you know, try to limit Jokic's passing. But now Murray is a phenomenal passer. He's always been a great passer to Jokic in that pick-and-roll, but um, what he's been doing in this series specifically, like, playmaking-wise, has been phenomenal. He only had one turnover in Game 2 to to 10 assists. Um, and he had, he had seven turnovers in Game 3, but still 10 assists. Um I mean, that just adds a whole nother element to their two-man game. Um, and, yeah, it, it's it's impossible to stop. Um, and that's what, you know, we thought coming into this series, I think, is just the Nuggets are just so good. And I think we realized that game uh, – really, I, I realized that, I guess – I mean, we were saying before the Sun series, like, I think the Nuggets are just, like, a really good team, but – when they were really, really good, obviously, was when they beat the Suns in Game 6. That's like, damn. <laughs> like, that's a really good team. Um, and then, obviously, they end up sweeping the Lakers. Um, but And then coming into this series, I was like, I don't know how the Heat... Because I wanted to go Nuggets in four. Because um, I was like, I don't know how the Heat legitimately like win a game. Like, out-execute the... I, I, I'm not going to say out-execute, but really just... Because I think they did out-execute the Nuggets in Game 2. But, um, I don't know, just out-play the Nuggets. Like, I, I did not really see that happening. Out-play them, like, to where the... I, 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 like, I'm trying to say, like, out-play them in, like, a legitimate way to where, like, both like, teams like shoot, like, 30%. Like, take them out of their game? Kind of, but like not like a statistical anomaly game, which is what the Heat had in Game Two, where they shot fifty percent from three, um, and that's the only reason they won Game Two. Um, so, like, if both teams are shooting like thirty percent from three, there's just no way the Heat can beat the Nuggets. Um, and so that's just kind of like looking at the heart of the game and not the margins and the the random stuff that can just be flip flopped each game. I didn't think the Heat were going to beat the Nuggets if they both executed to their best of their levels. Um, like Denver's floor is higher and their ceiling is higher. Um, and so the Heat do have to be perfect and you have to catch the Nuggets on an off game uh, to win. So I was trying to say, trying to go with Nuggets and four, but you know, obviously you will, we were kind of expecting a game, one of these games in this series to be like game two. Um, and unfortunately, it happened early, uh, it, rather than like the Nuggets being up 2-0 and then the Heat come back and they make all their threes. But at 1-1, it's like, damn, like this is a real series. 
Um, yeah, it gives it gives Denver pressure. Yeah, which I think they haven't really faced since Game Five against Phoenix. Like they haven't really had like pressure pressure on them because they've been up in every series 2-0 up until that point. Only time a series was tied was 2-2 against Phoenix, and that was because Devin Booker shot 90 percent. Yeah, exactly. Games and scored. 80 points like a statistical that, anomaly it takes exactly it takes statistical anomalies to beat this Nuggets team um, I don't know how many more statistical anomaly games that Miami has in them like I I think that they have another game where they're going to be able to make like, a ton of threes on a good yeah. percentage but I, Denver's now ready for that they know like listen like we if we play with the intensity and they make their threes that's fine because we know that we can still have a close game like that. Because they didn't play good down the stretch. They didn't play good against the zone. Um, they, they really didn't play good at all throughout that game outside of that huge run in the second quarter. Like The rest of the game, they were pretty bad. Um, so I'm when I look at that, I'm just like, if Denver just plays with that intensity for like 80% of the game, they're going to win. Because yeah. they're just going to completely outplay them. Uh, so, I, yeah. I, going into game four... I think Denver's biggest priority should be getting Mike Porter Jr. going in some way, whether it's at the rim or getting his jumper going, getting him shooting the ball with the same confidence yeah. that he was shooting in Game 1 uh, and in the Lakers series, and just getting him engaged on the offensive end that way. I think that should be their main goal, because you can win games with, obviously, just Yokes and Murray doing their thing, but if Michael Porter Jr. plays well, there you, you do not beat Denver. You do not beat Denver if he has a good game. Like it, I don't know what the record is, but when MPJ scores 20 or more, Denver has like a ridiculous winning percentage. So if you get him 20 points, that's right. Because you already know what you're going to get from Jokic and Murray at that point. Right, right. So you get like 80-ish points from three guys, yeah, that's that's it. Like, yeah. You can't beat that team. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see how they come out. I'm more excited to see what Miami does because like, Spolstra is a genius like he, he is a genius and what makes him so good with this Miami team is that he's just as insane as the rest of the people are about like winning and his mentality is the exact same so I, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how they make adjustments um, yeah against the Jokic Murray combo no I'm too we'll see like I mean I don't I mean <laughs> this game it was mainly involving their two best defenders Butler and Bam and Jokic and Murray obviously had yeah. that insane game so like yeah I I I don't know what they're what they're supposed to do because I mean just like roster wise there's just nothing else to do like they've inserted all their guys they did that um well I guess not really in game 1 they didn't but game 2 obviously they start with love and that was kind of their one like like rotation adjustment um obviously like you still have the hero thing which i think would only happen if the heat go down 3-1 if they lose tomorrow um then maybe you could see hero coming in game five just to try to like you know you're down 3-1 anyways there's nothing to lose um so try to put him in as a spark plug but I don't even know if that happens because it, it just seems like he's not going to play. Like what he said after after game one or something, I don't know. But um, he was like, I don't want to disrupt the rhythm of the team. 
uh, stuff like that. And Spolster just keeps like pushing it off to the side. It hasn't been a definitive like yes, he's going to come back. Um, so yeah. it's starting to feel more and more like he's not going to play. He's not going to play in Game Four. I don't think. I mean, there hasn't been any talk or any rumors they, of. They said today that like he he wasn't cleared yet. If he's not cleared, yeah. the day before he's not going to get cleared in twenty four hours. So. Yeah. Um, no, I I agree. I, I, even and I think even if Hero comes back, he hasn't played in like two months. Like he's gonna be a right. big defensive liability on the court. Like you can't you can't go zone with him to protect him like they do when Duncan Robinson's in the game. Because Duncan Robinson has been playing for two months. He's been, you know, he has the chemistry with everybody on the defensive end. They know when to switch. He's in a rhythm on that end. Tyler Hero's not in a rhythm on that, end. and he's gonna get attacked relentlessly. Whether he's coming off the bench, he's going to get attacked by Murray and Bruce Brown. Or if he's in the starters, he's going to get put in an action with whoever is the guy. Because Denver can run a two-man action with anybody on the court with Jokic. So, yeah. and I and, don't and, know how much he's going to help. Uh, if he's, he's not even going to be 100% whenever he plays. And every single video I've seen of him playing, like, he's not shooting jumpers, like, fully jumping, like, at 100% speed. He's, like, really lobbing jumpers up there. Like, he's not flicking his wrist like I, I mean right. he surgically repaired the hand like he's not going to be able to do everything immediately so and Duncan I, I on he's going to be able to bring aside from just the spark plug Duncan honestly might be harder to guard for the Nuggets than Hero is like off the ball stuff I mean yeah. if you like compare it with Curry and, and Kyrie or something like I would think that guarding Curry off the ball is harder than guarding Kyrie on ball um just with how much you got to fight through the screens and if you're guarding somebody on ball, you know that you have four help guys. But um, with Duncan flying around the screens, plus he's big, so he can get his shot off. Like he can just rise up over you. Um, I think might even be harder to guard than uh, for like for KCP, for example. I think KCP guarding Hero on ball is a much better matchup than KCP having to fly, having to follow Duncan Robinson flying around everywhere. Um, and so, yeah, there's that. We got five minutes left until this Zoom closes. I don't know. Like, why did they ever add this? This is so weird. Um, That's a dumb like, we wouldn't have been able to, like, do classes and stuff with this. Um, it's true. So, yeah, but we got five minutes left. Chris Paul has been released, I think. I don't, I, like, is it official? I don't, I, I don't even, even know, not, like, the whole... Technically, they have until June 28th to do something. Okay. But based on what everyone's saying, he's either going to get released and re-signed, or he's going to get traded uh, somewhere. I don't think he's going to get traded. Like I, I when it, the news was announced that he got released, I was like, they couldn't find a single trade partner yeah. for him. But now I'm looking at it, it's like all the contenders, they're not going to shell out assets for a guy who has never been able to stay healthy for a deep run, and who's also 38 years old and is also making 40 million a year. Like that's just a dumb trade to make. Even though he is, I yeah. think he is still a good player. Yeah. Uh, depending on if he's able to change his role. I mean, he would be like the dream backup point guard um, for any contending team, especially the Nuggets when Bruce Brown, their backup point guard, is not going to be on the team next year. Um, and you know, you don't want Reggie Jackson out there. So like the Nuggets don't really have, and you don't really want. I, I was gonna say, I was gonna say, you don't really want a guy coming off a broken leg. Um, who <laughs> needs to spend some time in the G League. Minute. Yeah, exactly. Um, 
So, I mean, the Nuggets have a, you know, I guess a roster problem to solve in the offseason. I'm just trying to hammer down that backup point guard spot. And if, you know, Chris Paul is willing to take like four or five million dollars. Um, is he willing to take the mid-level exception? Like the lowest of the low because we have like nothing. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, hey, I mean. Also, oh, there's also going to be the hard cap. I don't even know if Denver's going to get a full mid-level <laughs> No, exactly. I know. So you got to sign him to like the vet minimum, probably. Yeah. Uh, but if he wants a we'll ring, see how committed he is to ring chasing. Exactly. Yeah. He could be like our version of, uh, like, oh my god, like David West to signing with the Warriors. That was so weird and like, <laughs> Lamarcus Aldridge with the Nets. Brooklyn. Yeah. Um, yeah. We'll see. It's gonna be interesting off season. Like there's like there's so much parity around the league. There's gonna be so many guys who are gonna switch, uh, especially because of the new CBA rules. Guys aren't gonna be able to keep their players. Like Denver's not gonna keep Bruce Brown. Wherever he goes is gonna be huge. Um, you're not gonna be able to keep a lot of their players. You're gonna see a lot more young guys get opportunities with contending teams. So you'll see the player development a lot more. So yeah, it'll be interesting. I, the Chris Paul situation's definitely something to keep an eye on. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it, it, it's an it's an interesting new era. Like this CBA is really, I mean, monumental. Like, and you have to appreciate the team right now because each year the team is going to have pretty significant like roster turnover. Every team is um, with the new CBA. It feels like um, I don't know. I mean, football definitely has some decent roster turnover. Baseball, it seems like anytime an MLB player is a free agent, they sign with a different team. They never re-sign. So, like, it kind of feels like that um, to where, like, one baseball team could win 100 games one year and then just end up winning, like, 70 the next year. Um, so, yeah, huge, like huge Rangers CBA coming up. <laughs> what? Like the Rangers this year? <laughs> yeah, or the Orioles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just out of nowhere just because of a couple free agents. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we got less than a minute left. I know we're gonna get cut off I, at I any point. Else. Yeah, no, I don't either. Okay, we will end it there. Uh, we will see what happens tomorrow night, game five or game four. Um, see if Denver takes three one, or if we're going back to Denver tied two two. Gonna be it for us. Thanks for watching. Peace. Peace.